welcome to this month's Archimedes podcast. Every month we take evidence-based questions generated by real, actual clinicians and come up with their evidence-based answers. We also help you explore the world of practising evidence-based medicine with little hints and tips about how to understand critical appraisal and its application in medicine. This month there's a really straightforward difference to explain and that is between complex and complicated. Although the two words are often used synonymously, they have actually different meanings. Uh, did, did you know that? Well, it's not really that different. Complicated implies that something is made of lots of parts, but it's, it's logical and rational, like a car engine, or a 10,001-pieced jigsaw of the Gobi Desert, or a heart, something like that. Complex means that it's constructed with pieces, but each piece has a variable and often incalculable influence, but may be predictable in an overall sense. So the flights of a flock of birds, or the likely outcomes of some games of rugby league, or the initial diagnostic conversation when you're having with parents of a child with leukaemia, are all complex phenomena, but overall have a vague predictability. Now, the difference is important because in the former, in a complicated system, if we understand each little piece and fiddle with each little piece, we can quite reasonably predict what the outcome will be. In a complex system, we can try and fiddle with the pieces, but we really can't appreciate what the outcome would be until we step back and examine it on a larger system. Understanding this will give us a hint to working out what sorts of questions we can ask of clinical procedures and what sort of level and distinguishing type of evidence we need in order to get forwards. Now, while the two evidence-based questions we have this month both concern neonates, they're really quite different. One of them concerning the use of faecal calprotectin for the diagnosis of necrotizing enterocolitis, and the other about the use of prophylactic phenobarbital in low-income countries in babies with severe HIE. The faecal calprotectin question comes from James Houston and Jess Morgan, who both work at York, one in the district hospital and one in the university. The scenario is of a 30-weeker that's now 33 weeks corrected, and you're seeing them on the morning ward round. Someone had a suspicion of NEC overnight, put them nil by mouth, and the poor little baby is starving and screaming hungry. You'd been wondering about how to diagnose necrotizing enterocolitis, NEC, earlier, and had heard about faecal calprotectin, so went away and did an evidence review. This group looked at three different databases, and TRIP database, which is a sort of summary database that goes and searches other places for you, limited to English language, and came up with initially 25 potential studies, of which seven were fully included as included studies, and three in abstract form only. Within this, they were of heterogeneous design and size and different ages of neonates involved. There were six prospective cohorts and four case control studies. Within that heterogeneity, there was also differences in exactly which faecal calprotectin test was used, what the cutoff was, more about that in a minute, and also the timing of when the stool was taken for the calprotectin estimation in relation to the presence or absence of NEC or symptoms. 
Looking at all of these studies, the majority of them did show that the average value of faecal calprotectin was higher in those patients that developed some form of abdominal problem, NEC being the severe end of that, and lower in those without. Now, the challenge with these sorts of studies is what they do is they demonstrate really proof of concept. They're a phase one diagnostic study, and we've blogged about that previously. The idea is that if you have a test that's potentially useful, if it can't tell the difference between the barn door sick and the extremely well, then you don't need to go any further. Just because it can show the difference between those two, though, doesn't mean it's going to be a a useful diagnostic test in clinical practice. Now, this group clearly identified that as being a limitation. One of the ways you spot this quite often is when the cutoff value varies between different studies. And also, they identified that at the moment, in most places, faecal calprotectin is a nightmare to get. might be run twice a week, and it's not really useful as a diagnostic test at the moment. However, it is something that would probably be worth looking at further, just not used in clinical practice at the moment. The other com- clinical question comes from Hannah Spears, Jeffrey Twasumi, and Peter Cartilage from Bowindi in Uganda and Leeds in England. This concerns a setting of working in a low-income country where a baby presents to the neonatal unit with a moderate to severe hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, HIE, and cooling is unavailable. You wonder about the use of prophylactic phenobarbitone to reduce seizures, to reduce the chance of death, and to reduce the chance of neurodisability. So the group went away and looked to see what evidence they could find, again searching three different bibliographic databases and limiting their inclusion criteria to studies undertaken in low-income countries. This actually only found one study, and so they went back and researched, looking for all centres that had taken trials to examine this question. What they got doing that was a systematic review from 2007 and three further RCTs and three additional case control studies to try to get to answer that question. Two of them came from high-income countries, two from high-middle-income countries and two from low-middle-income countries. Importantly, though, for this setting, none of these studies used cooling, but many of them did have access to blood gas recordings uh, and good quality ventilators. So the setting is is probably one where any disadvantages of phenobarbital, particularly respiratory depression or hypotension, could be resolved. And so in a sense, these settings will bias towards benefit of phenobarbital rather than against it. The studies were quite heterogeneous, as you've already heard, in design and in location, but also in their inclusion criteria. For some, mild to moderate HIE was just an APGAR of less than 5 at 10 minutes, and for other studies, it was intensive resuscitation after 30 minutes and still being hypotonic and hypotensive. So a very wide variety of patients in there. When they put all the evidence together, though, what they showed was that phenobarbital really didn't make a difference to mortality. Well, so, but it did improve seizures, which is of benefit. However, it made no difference to neurodevelopmental outcome. So what it appears to do is stop you seeing that the baby is having a seizure, but it doesn't change the fact that there's an underlying brain pathology that's going on. 
As I say, these studies probably bias towards phenobarbital in the way that they could manage the significant side effects that you can get from this drug. And so if anything, the fact that this shows a no benefit is an even stronger reason not to use it in a low income setting and perhaps instead to investigate the use of alternative ways of cooling that are more low tech and putting that into practice. Now, that's the end of the Archimedes podcast for this month, but we hope to hear from you. What are your clinical questions and your evidence-based answers to them? Or also, we can answer questions about how to do appraisal or elements of appraisal that you've always found interesting or tricky. Please get in touch with us via email or on Twitter at adc underscore bmj. We look forward to hearing from you soon.